Ben, Fred, thank you both for your time. But the first question I have is, is it Fred and Ben or is it Ben and Fred? Which is the correct way to say it? Well, you know, do you want to go chronologically or alphabetically, Darren? <laughs> uh, I thought it was in terms of family hierarchy. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think it's really up to you. I think as long as uh, my dad always said, um, you can call me anything you want except late for dinner. So we'll, we'll respond to whatever you say. Fair. Well, we'll go with the number two first then. And we'll say, uh, Ben, do you remember your first experience with goldfish? Are you asking me or the elder? Well, I went with the number two because, you ben, know, Fred ben. was, yeah, you know, it happens. I, I do. <laughs> well, see, now you see the chronological, it's trying to be deferential. Um, but I do remember my first experience. I remember eating goldfish all the time as a little kid. Um, Fred and I were talking about this earlier, but, you know, for lunches every day in school, my mom would have a little plastic baggie. I'm sure you did as well. But when you would look down at lunch, in addition to your sandwich um, and juice, there's always goldfish. So that was kind of a, a constant snack for, for both Fred and, and myself when we were kids growing up. I'm sure Fred is going to agree with that. So I'll throw it as Fred, favorite flavor of goldfish. Do you have one? You got, I got to go, I got to go classic cheddar. I got to go classic cheddar. Uh, you know, I'm a purist at heart and, um, you know, all the, all the, all the, you know, if you want to go pret, there's a lot of pretzel fans, mm -hmm. there's pizza flavored fans. The new megabytes also have uh, a cheesy jalapeno, which has a nice kick. Uh, but, um, at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm a real purist at heart and nothing, nothing beats that, that, that cheesy goodness of goldfish. I appreciate that purity. Thank ben. You. Megabytes. Tell me what they are. Bigger, bolder, cheesier. Um, they're the new Megabytes. Um, they're the Goldfish reboot that are being reintroduced, and they're available at stores everywhere. And um, I think, you know, on a professional level, they kind of um, asked um, Fred and I to um, help participate in these new ads. And um, for me, personally, it was just so exciting. Um, it's a really rare thing in Hollywood to be able to work with a family member and especially to get to work with your brother. So I think for me personally, it was just such an exciting thing. Um, Fred and I have had the opportunity to work together several times mm -hmm. and um, it just kind of sounded like a no brainer and it sounded like a lot of fun. Are you a purist like your brother Fred is in terms of goldfish flavor preferences? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, you got to go with the original, of course. Yeah. Got it. So anytime either of you are on set, of course, in the trailer, there's goldfish. There is now. I bring, I've been bringing, I've been bringing, I've been lucky enough. They're sending me these megabytes. I mean, I'm lousy with megabytes over here and I bring them to work and it's incredible how, and it's very few things, but there's something about goldfish. Everyone has had them since they were a little kid, everyone. And it's amazing how bringing like, I bring them to work and I'll give out bags of goldfish and it's amazing how quickly you could turn uh, an adult right back into a kid. We all, like when you open a bag or you taste them, you're right back, you know, at school lunches or you're right back in the backseat of your parents' car um, uh, or on the way to soccer practice or Little League or uh, dance recital or wh whatever that thing is that you, you did when you were a kid. Uh, I, I have to believe uh, that in some way or another, they were fueled by, by goldfish. And it just takes you right back. Well, both of you are cultural staples, just like Goldfish, my humble opinion. I, I mean, been watching you both on television for decades now. So a couple of pop culture questions, if we can. And the yes. first, 
You have one of the coolest names possible, last names that is, Savage. Do any photos exist of either of you with Randy Savage or Viv Savage from Def Leppard? Man, I I wish. We were huge, Randy. We were huge WWF fans as kids. Uh, so I, I wish we had met uh, Randy Savage. Uh, don't know Viv Savage. Um, you know, my big hope is just to hang out with 21 Savage. That's kind of what, uh, what I'm gunning for next. You know, I just realized the mistake I made. Viv Savage was in Spinal Tap. Rick Savage <laughs> is in Def Leppard. So that's an extra uh, Savage. It was, it was, I, it was, he was the one, he was the one who was, he was, or was it, was it Mick Shrimpton? Who spontaneously combusted? Uh, that was Mick Shrimpton, whose real name is Rick Shrimpton in real life. Yes, right, right. He spontaneously combusted. Yeah. Viv Savage ben, was the daughter for Spinal Tap. That's right. Ben, you looked like you had something to add to that. Had you any photo opportunities with these folks we've talked about? Well, <clears throat> 21 Savage is on, on my list for sure. Um, <clears throat> I did bump into Randy Macho Man Savage at an award show once. You did? Uh, you never told me that. It was a brief, brief encounter. But what? I do, I, there is a picture and I do have it. Um, but it was very brief. Um, um, so <laughs> we didn't quite get the opportunity to work together. So I didn't know if the question was, but um, it would be nice to have a reunion of at least 21 Savage, Fred, and myself. Savage Garden, any photos with them? No. Great no. band, though. A great band. <laughs> so what I'm learning here is uh, you've been around greatness, and I'm talking with greatness. So besides this wonderful Goldfish collaboration, promotion, etc., are you allowed to say what's next or both of you under Deadline.com embargoes? I mean, for me right now, uh, I'm uh, working as a director and executive producer on uh, the new Wonder Years Reimagining uh, mm -hmm. for ABC. We're uh, midway uh, through our, our, um, our first season. We have a few more episodes to shoot, and, uh, and it's been an incredible experience. We're, we are, we're on Wednesday nights on ABC, also available on Disney Plus and Hulu. Um, but uh, it's been an incredible experience, and... Uh, you know, there was something that really seemed to dovetail working on kind of this reboot of a, of a classic uh, and then be able to come and talk with you about uh, uh, a reboot of another kind of classic. And uh, it, it was amazing how kind of all the, all the, all the worlds collided. Uh, I see what moment. you did there. <laughs> ben, can you add to what you have coming up in the near future? Or is it just that, hey, follow me on Instagram like a normal person would? Uh... <laughs> There, there, there are a few projects coming up. Um, I just um, did a project with Lifetime, actually, that's um, um, airing shortly. Um, <clears throat> quite a different sphere, a different role, but um, I'm looking forward to people seeing that as well. And the Savage family, without you, Super Mario 3 would not be what it is. So, hey, that's another classic right there. It's just a family of classics. You know, you really put us into some great company, Darren. I, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, the last question I have for both of you is totally left field. It's uh, who's your favorite band of all time, if there is one? We'll go with Ben first. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I think that's an impossible question. Um, I think that I have a lot of bands. Uh, 
associated with a lot of wonderful memories. But if you're just going right off the top of the head, I would have to say Springsteen and the E Street Band. Um, so many wonderful memories as a kid with my family, with my dad, um, listening to Springsteen songs um, throughout uh, all aspects and uh, points of my life. Um, seen uh, the boss many times um, on tour um, all over the country. And I just have so many wonderful memories associated with Bruce that uh, if I'm pressed, I would have to say Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Fred, is this the point where you tell Ben, and I've got photos with Bruce Springsteen and you don't, like you uh, throw back? We've, I've, I've met Bruce Springsteen with my dad. Uh, we did not take a photo, but we were, we were, you know, kind of in the moment, but we, I do have that, that memory with, with my dad. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's an impossible question. Um, I mean, do you go classic? Do you just go right to Beatles, the Rolling Stones? Do you go, um, you know, Grateful Dead, Fish? Uh, you know, do you include my dad, you know, turned you know, with, in, in, with, you know, Bruce Springsteen, the East Deep Band? I also listen to a lot of Steve Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. Um, Double Trouble, great band. Yeah. Uh, uh, or do I jump right on to Bell and Sebastian, you know, who I listen to on the way home from work every day. So there's a lot, there's, 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 there's too many to choose from. Um, music has been a big part of our lives uh, since we were kids. I mean, my dad would have music playing in the house all the time. And, um, and so, um, you know, then I also can't sleep on my, you know, my kid K-pop is just blaring through our house 24 seven. So do you say Red Velvet or Twice? You know, I mean, those are bands that are really in our, in my, in my, my, my life right now. So um, yeah, a lot of music in my life. Very, very fortunate. I think the correct answer is Van Halen, but we will end it there. Wow, and interesting. Sure. Well, I thank can't argue you. with that. I can't argue with that. <laughs> thank you both so much for the many years of great entertainment and looking forward to what's next, Goldfish or not. It's thank a pleasure. You, Thanks, Darren. You. Ewan, uh, am I getting you Hello, from Japan today? Yes, you are. Yes. Wow. Filming or vacation? Uh, I uh, have family here, so I spend some time here. Uh, yeah. So it's not Exactly. It's, not, it's neither, actually, but it's just uh, life, lifetime. Somewhere between business <laughs> living, and Just living. Just living. As Matthew McConaughey likes to say. Just, just living. living. <laughs> yeah, well, we were connected to talk about creation stories, and you do an exemplary job playing Alan McGee. Had you met Alan oh, before you, taking on the role? Uh, no. No, not before taking it on. Um, you know, and while we were putting this film together over the course of about three years and failing to get it on its feet, you know, many times and failing to raise the money for it and failing to uh, make it happen. Um, you know, Alan was really supportive through that time. We, I was living in America. Uh, I'm still based there. And, and uh, uh, Alan was all over the world doing yeah. his different projects. And so finding a, finding a, time to kind of meet when the film was maybe going to happen and maybe not going to happen until it was happening we didn't actually kind of make that you know make our meeting happen you know uh, and, and spend time together so because it's it's kind of painful it's kind of painful if the film doesn't happen um yeah and you invest you both you know for him to, for him to invest in me and me to invest in that to too heavily the film's not happening then it kind of feels painful you know for, for both of us so 
we kind of held off until we knew it was happening. And then when we knew it was happening, we had about, you know, literally days, you know, to get the wigs together, to get the costumes together, to get the locations together, to get, you know, um, everything that we needed to, to make that film happen. Um, prosthetic ears, you know, I had, <laughs> had uh, little little things behind my ears that would uh, kind of make them just a little bit more McGee-like. And, uh, McGee-like. Some prosthetic... Yeah, I had some prosthetic teeth stuff done as well. I can't quite remember, but uh, it was a few couple of years ago now when we actually made it. But uh, so, yeah, I did meet him, and we did we did hang out, and we did spend a good time, and it was excellent, uh, really time well spent. And, uh, well, one one thing that that you and Alan have in common for me is you're both oh. instrumental in my development as a music listener because the train spotting soundtrack really, really opened up things for me with, you know, what great Britpop and electronic music there was coming out at the time. Then Alan, all the creation stuff mattered to me a lot. So for you, how much did you know about creation records before taking on the role? Very little. I knew very little about it. Um, you know, I was aware of Alan McGee as, as a cultural icon. And mm-hmm. His, his legend um, and obviously coming from Scotland uh, these iconic figures are real heroes in Scotland because they they went down south they went to London they went to you know wherever they went and they, they made stuff happen you know and that you know when you're living in Scotland that's like wow because uh Scotland can be quite parochial and, and um, um, have its own sense of identity for someone to reach out of that and go down and kind of start bending the culture into the shape they want it to be is like really exciting, you know. Um, it's almost like supporting a football team or something, probably. But I don't support any football teams, so I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, so he was he was a legend and but I didn't really know him I didn't know him as a person I wasn't listening to the music that he was putting out uh, it wasn't I mean it was on my radar and so much I was, I was aware of it but it, it wasn't the stuff that I was listening to um, so yeah I was kind of a, I was a clean slate <laughs> well, one of his big discoveries was one of my favourite bands Teenage Fan Club who are from Scotland. I didn't know if that was a band that you were familiar with, but you didn't know that they were on creation. I, I only really knew them by their name. I didn't know the music until much later. Um, so I'm, I'm more familiar with them now, but that that world of music kind of, I don't know, what, what would you call that genre? Like in the- Power uh, pop, but they were also kind of power- shoegaze in a way. Yeah, I kind of really shoegaze just rubbed me up the wrong way. Like I just felt, I just felt like uh, it's like uh, prideful, underachieving, you know. And I, I just felt like you know, you know, and that was that was uh, <laughs> kind of a, a quite a snobbish, um, over principled. Uh, response to it but I just it just rubbed me up the wrong way so I kind of just blocked that world out 
and I didn't um, appreciate the the kind of degrees of like art that was being made then. I appreciate it more now, but um, at the time I just kind of thought, no. Are, are no. you that way with movies and other things or is it just music where you don't like the underachievers? Um, like it's, it's unfair to say underachievers because I, I'm an underachiever, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely an underachiever. Uh, and, you know, so it's not, that's not a crime um, as I see it. But uh, I am, yeah, I, I am a bit snobbish about certain stuff. Things can, things can rub me up the wrong way. And, uh, and then, and then there's stuff that I absolutely adore and love. You know, um, when I feel, and you know, things that I feel, feel inspired by, cinema, cinema, music. So, I I understand what you're saying. Where it's not just entertainment to you that you care about the craft and what goes into it, and you're not just looking to laugh or cry. You go, well, why is it? Am I laughing? Like, why am I crying? You're looking for the motivation behind the art. Not just yeah, exactly. Like the re like reason why. You know, that's what you're saying. Like, why am I? Why is this? You know, like reason. I want. I want reason. Um, and I don't want it to. I don't mean that everything has to be, um, you know, intellectual at all. Like, I don't mind the opposite of uh, of that. Of so that means but, that means no professional wrestling no wwe for you no not not no <laughs> you're right yeah yeah i mean maybe uh maybe if i'm a participant <laughs> only as a participant participation only well it's fair participation only you know do not be a uh, do not be a spectator <laughs> well with the, with the the motivation behind the art, a lot of what you're saying reminds you of what Noel Gallagher from Oasis would say. He's very critical of art, but sometimes he can just turn it off and like the dumbest stuff ever. So mm -hmm. that, so mm -hmm. for you, is it kind of like it has to be the smartest or the dumbest? Not a lot. Of <laughs> well, it might it might end up like that. I, I do like I do love. Uh, the idiot you know like people, people that uh the, the idiot in art you know in film and uh and yeah i got a soft spot for the idiot um and i and a lot of the characters i play are idiots you know and i i you know love what that makes possible you know because that that opens a lot of possibilities where people are not constrained by what's right and what's sensible you know it opens up a lot of uh elasticity in what in what you can play with you know well so yeah that makes sense because you you've done a lot of very cerebral movies for the uk and scottish market yet you've been in a lot of dumb awesome american action movies at the same time <laughs> you've been able to navigate both those waters so kudos to you and you know creation stories is why we're connected but are you allowed to say what film or what project is next for you? Um, well, some, something that's happening uh, is coming out in America in a couple of weeks. 
on HBO Max is Our Flag Means Death, which is uh, a project that's helmed by Taika Waititi. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, it's about... What we do in the shadows. Big fan. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, it's about idiot pirates <laughs> and, and love. You know, it's a kind of a, a love story about idiot pirates. And, but no werewolves, um, I hope. Um, no, although, although I do have a fantastic weapon in the series that kind of could could uh, stand in, you know, if a werewolf was unavailable, I could take their place for an afternoon um, with my with my metal fangs. Uh, and do some do some proper damage, but um, yeah, no werewolves. But it's a great fun, ridiculous show. Lots of lots of idiocy, lunacy, and uh, some great people involved in that. Um, yeah. Wow. And the last thing I want to know before I let you go: Do you think we'll ever see a memoir from you? No, I don't think so. And my memory is really terrible. <laughs> as an as an actor, like, I've learned to kind of. I've learned to adapt my memory to short-term learning of text, you know, dialogue. And uh, I, can, I can only hold so much of it. That means that my short-term memory can get into good shape, you know, when I'm working. But my long-term memory is sacrificed. You know, I really tragically... Yeah, I will never remember that stuff. That's that would go into a memoir. <laughs> oh well, only fragments, you know. Have to make bottom, bottom line is you were excellent as <laughs> Alan McGee, and looking forward to that uh, show from HBO Max and whatever's to come from you. Thanks for the many years, great entertainment. Thank you, Darren. Thanks very much. It's an honor and a pleasure to reconnect with you. Now, I had the pleasure of speaking with you like six, seven months ago before this movie was sold, and you were busy at the time. It was a pleasure then. It's a pleasure now. Oh, Aside you, from Darren. talking to the media elite, good day for you so far? Yeah. Listen, I need to ask you something. Yes. Are you, are you really a PI? Oh, boy. They Googled me. Yes. You do, are. Oh, do fantastic. You somebody looked up? <laughs> yeah. No, I did it. I looked up. I looked it up. I, I remember looking you up last time, but I didn't. I found this. Uh, oh, wow. It says, you know, licensed PI. You, that's amazing. It's like, you know, like Jim Rockford. It's fantastic. Every now and then there's an entertainment overlap to, to being a PI where I'm writing an article and you go, you got to track down who's handling this person. Or every mm. now and then you have somebody who's hurt, but also a musician, a comic, an actor, and it overlaps. Dude, dude, you are, your life is either an amazing movie or an incredible series that needs to be written. We need to have a chat about this. I think that, I mean, honestly, the showbiz, and then I also happen to have a PI license that sometimes comes in handy. Wow, it's like, that's just, there's a brilliant story in there. I don't know, I don't know who would play, like Ryan Gosling or someone plays you, you know, sort of, you know, sort of maybe we should set it a few years ago when things were sort of a little bit, you know, there was a, like sort of set in the 90s maybe, when, when there's a bit more snooping about and less playing around on computers. That's it, this is, a, we've got a premise, we've got to pitch this to someone. Well, well, speaking of brilliant, brilliant pictures, uh, Creation Stories connects with me on so many levels because oh, not only okay. is the story great, 
but this is the music I love because right. not just Oasis, who's one of the focal points of the whole thing, but Teenage Fan Club and Ride. I love all the shoegaze kind of stuff. Right. Chapter House, yeah, World yeah. Driver, yeah, etc. Yeah. Were you always a fan of this or is it that you came back and you rediscovered it when you were no, I was I was always a fat fan of that. It's so funny because the, the shoegazer thing was actually bigger in the States than it was over here. You know, mm. be, surprisingly enough, because for my sins, one of my best friends, and he's a complete fucking liability, is Russell Barrett, the bass player with Chapter House. Yeah. So so he was telling me all those stories about, you know, when they, you know, they they had Nirvana open for them at, at one point. You know, they were they were doing this stuff in America and then coming back and and it being it wasn't quite the same, you know, vibe. It was more indie lo-fi over here. And in America, they're playing bigger, uh, bigger stadiums and selling more records. And the shoegazer thing sort of became the grunge thing. You know, that that was sort of it spawned grunge, which then sort of turned around and ate it. You know, so grunge became sort of shoegazers on uh, gazing on steroids. So, so I'm I'm very <laughs> very aware of, of all of that. I'm very aware of the uh, of of that scene. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Reconnecting is what it was, because because me, me and my best friend at the time tried to go and see, um, uh, tried to go and see the Jesus and Mary chain play at the London School of Economics. Fifteen <laughs> years old with a fake ID, and we were told. Not only you're not coming in, firstly, the band's finished, and secondly, there's a riot. And thirdly, we don't like the look of these IDs. So, it's, so but uh, so I had the, a strong connection with that. And I, I distinctly remember when, when uh, the first of those bands that really hit a nerve with me were probably, would, would be, would be when Scream and Delica came out, when, uh, uh, when Primal Scream really hit that, and then and then Ride, they were Ride were tremendous, and then Oasis sort of blossomed out the top of that. So I, it, I hadn't bought a contemporary record for about five years, and then it was all horrible, horrible manufactured pop music, which I allude to in the film. You know, terrible, yeah. terrible plastic pop stars that were just all needed to be drowned, and then. And, and then suddenly from nowhere, there were these bands that were great. And then out of that came a, a super group and then two or three other super groups, as I say in, in the film, you know, Pulp, Radiohead, uh, Blur, you know, they came out of the wake of, of, of Oasis being, a, a, you know, a stadium band. So, yeah, it was very, very much about me reconnecting and rekindling all those relationships. I've got a hilarious couple of hilarious photographs of me and Noel Gallagher knocking about from years and years ago that I, you know, that are ridiculous. And I've, I've got, um, and, and I'd met Liam a few times. I'd actually met Alan a few times, but he didn't remember funnily enough. <laughs> so, so, the movie kind of delves into why yeah, that may or may not be. The yeah, case. yeah. 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 So yeah. You answer your question. Yeah. It was, it was me reconnecting to something that I'd never really lost touch with and, and being around, at the time when music was nothing and then it was everything, you know, it was, it was, yeah. I tr tried so hard to, to evoke that epoch, you know, that, that sensation, what, what people were, because this is what I was feeling. I think in doing that, I may have alienated some people because it's not a pedestrian by the numbers movie, but, yeah. but I've engaged other people like you that have gone, yeah, I get it. Cause I like that. I was there. I bought that real. I felt like that when I listened to that record, I felt like that when, yeah. you know, I don't think these days people listen to a song 
and then jump up and down in their front room, you know, in, in front of their nan for, for 10 minutes and then and then and then play it to death when they buy it because music is a thing on your phone and you just do that with it you know then it's like you you get on a bus and you go to a store and you you hope they've got it or you phone up and order it and then you get it and it's this big and it's in a bag and everyone knows you bought the thing and you read the cover of the record for liner notes yeah exactly like (laughs) clues about these brilliant people and 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 some people have seen the movie and and have been just just reconnected with that and other people look at it and go i don't i don't get it music's a thing i get on my phone you know i don't understand so i found ironically you never understand until uh the film's reviewed you never really get the full aspect to it obviously i love the good reviews (laughs) it's the outro cast now with darren Robbie, Andy, such a pleasure. Season two of this show is excellent as expected. Didn't know they were making a season two. When did you actually wrap <laughs> the show? We shot a year uh, ago, uh, April. Yeah. We wrapped April. We shot January to, to April. Wow. Well, before I throw a question at Robbie, Andy, my question for you, usually when you have somebody that's multi-talented, that's an actor or an actress, they want to shoehorn all that into their roles. Like we see every Travolta movie, he's dancing. In your case, no guitar playing. Uh, Was it ever almost a thing where you played guitar as part of the show? No, it never was. And actually, Greg and I had a conversation about it um, in the beginning, right before we started filming about Nora, about her abilities. And, you know, I think for me, it was so wonderful playing a character that wasn't a musician. And, you know, it's great. We have all these talents and gifts, um, but that doesn't mean you need to put it all in everything. And um, and for me, playing Nora, there are already so many, so many similarities and she already fits so well that I love that she isn't this great singer. You know, even though we see her singing with Robbie, um you know she's okay at it but it's not this like watch me play and you know in, in season two there's a scene around the uh campfire with, with the lud camp and and there was kind of this thing of like oh does she bring out the guitar and it was just like you know no she's just not that's not who she is and we're not going to force it and i i really liked that you but sing and right. play the guitar they're going to be like why the hell she work at lakeview assessment right there why is she working horizon get her a record deal well robbie (laughs) in your case we see a lot of depth from you this season as with the prior season and one of the focal points is hey the dude's in shape he's jacked and all that there's a lot of effort go into that for this role and i ask that like was the character written the way that we see it when you got the original script yeah, I read the script the first time and I thought this is this is me. I like same sense of humor. The the character speaks the way I speak. Greg had just like it's just one of those rare times you read it and uh, you just go I can do this. And um um that was amazing and and I was talking about this a little earlier today in one of the interviews they said, you know, what do you bring to Nathan and and like what would you want to bring back from Nathan to your own life and I can't really separate the two. I'm, I'm, 
I'm bringing a ton of myself to this character. We have the same sense of humor. Uh, we have the same speech pattern. I, I have, you know, I, I like to think I, I care for my friends and family the same way that he does. New Nathan, not old Nathan. Um, but uh, I just, I just relate to this guy so much. And um, the physical side of things, I mean, uh, I, I kind of grew up playing hockey. I've, I've always tried to stay in shape. I don't think I'm funny enough to, to get too out of shape. Um, so uh, I, I always just kind of treat it as part of the part of the job. I think it was pretty funny um, to have the like bicep blowing up scene because yes. this guy is still, you know, he's still self-conscious. He, you know, he's, he sees the stud that Nora's got in her phone on um, her dating app. And he's like, now he's like, oh no, like this is, I got, I got to get back into shape. So, you know, stuff like that's really fun to play with um, from Greg, but it's, I think that uh, from episode one, I was very much like the character already. And then Greg is so good at, at finding in casting and through the casting process, finding these personalities that work and are innately the characters and then further pushing that direction and, and, and bringing out people's, you know, charming personalities and the things that make, make people love them. And uh, I think, I think that's part of why the, the show is, is what it is. Well, the wife and I devoured all seven episodes in two sittings. Love it. Hope there's more uh, to come. And next time I interview you, Andy, I'll find out if you're really watching Billy Madison or not on that screen. But thank <laughs> you for your time and looking forward to future projects. Thanks, Thanks so much, Darren. <laughs> Owen, Allegra, really a pleasure to speak with both of you. I appreciate, Owen, that you're wearing the hat. Thank you. Thank you. I, that means a lot. That, that cut deep. Um, some people of Lecra made some jokes, some silly, hysterical jokes, but some people can see the depth and the meaning and the nuanced layers of my hat. I hear the deal. I just love that you're the most ubiquitous character on the show, and you're also recognizable as a person, and yet somehow we need another reminder of exactly who this you are. This hat was not a part of the, that's, the hat's just me. That oh, I, the hat came before the show. Right. That's right, that's right. Well, something that you both have in common is this second season, we see a lot more depth from both of you in that you're playing multiple characters. Without spoiling anything, Allegra, yeah. we, we see a lot going on here. Yeah. So Allegra, do you, did you know this story arc was coming per se, or is this an episode by episode kind of show where you get the scripts? A little bit of both. I had a feeling that one of the main uh, elements was coming. Um, I was definitely aware of that, but the episode to episode um, uh, challenges, I'll say, like the hoops that she has to jump through, those were discovered script by script. And I just, I wish, you know, I wish there was a hidden camera so that you guys could see our expressions and our reactions, usually with my spouse in the next room of, ah, what? You know, and I can't say anything and I can't do yeah. anything about it. I just have to look forward to it. Uh, oh, and something I was trying to figure out. A lot of the characters in, on this show only exist within the, their workplace or their one zone. But you are everywhere. Did you have more filming shoot days than anyone else this season? Yes. <laughs> a lot of times I'm in the background serving somebody water. So it's a, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of like, <laughs> what will be really funny is it'll be like, 
Owen, get down here. We need you in this scene. Oh, we can't start until you're here. Quickly, quickly, quick. And then I'll I'll rush over. And then like <laughs> then the scene's going on. And then you'll see like a blur of orange hair, like in the corner, you know, like for like a milli millisecond. They're like, okay, he's now it makes sense. He's in the scene. So there was a lot of that. There's a lot of like, um, I I'm on, yeah, I have to do a ton of background work, which I love. And it's great. And um, and I think that uh, it gives you an opportunity too, because if I like doing little funny things always in the background because then they always add up and you're like, why is that blur petting that uh, stuff bare in that way? You know, like I don't, I, or, um, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I am, I am. Busy. I am. Busy. Following up on that before I throw one at Allegra, uh, if you theoretically, you know, preventing any spoilers here, if you did grow a beard this season, did you film that stuff towards the beginning or towards the end? Oh, did I? If did I grow did I grow a beard this season? Oh, oh my God! Um, yes, uh, nothing can be shared. Uh, I don't know. I was told specifically not to discuss anything involving the beard, but I will say this: shit gets crazy with the character who has a beard. It's really strange. It's it's very funny. Um, I yeah. I, yeah, it's, I can't, I, I really, they told me not to go into it, but, um, but it, well, theoretically, yeah. if it, theoretically, happens. if somebody yeah. grows a beard, they are, there's this character that might grow a beard and he is, he's a, he's, he's a sourpuss and he's very funny. Um, and, uh, I really enjoy that character. didn't really have to grow it, grow it. So we could film it, you know. No, uh, I, I, I may, I think I grow it. I, okay. Yeah. He believes he grew it. <laughs> I have a lot of testosterone. And if you ask me to grow a beard, I can do that in like a day and a half. That's incredible. And the last thing I'll ask before I let you go, Allegra, is the hug suit comfortable? <laughs> yes and no. Um, uh, Ingrid wears a lot of tight, short, tight things. Um, and uh, just season one, I would look forward to the hug suit all the time because it meant I had a lot of space and I could also eat whatever I wanted at lunchtime or the day before, but it gets really hot, really fast. And the hardest part about it is the um, skin, the, the skull cap, because I can't hear. And um, so people are just yelling instructions at me and I just, I look like a deaf Teletubby. So it's it's uncomfortable. <laughs> well, I remember what favorite shows, period. And I look forward to speaking with you guys again in the future. Keep up all the greatness. Thank you so oh much. Thank you. Josh, Andrea, is it Andrea or Andrea? Like which one do you go with? I go with Andrea. Okay, correct answer. Anything else would have been incorrect. It's a pleasure to speak with Good. you. I've been watching your projects for many years, Andrea. I've seen you in all the projects relate to the state. Josh, it's great to see you in uh, Pam and Tommy, et cetera. But we're here to talk about Upload. And both of you have characters that are not the most likable characters, but you can tell there's a lot of work that goes into it. So Josh, first, how much of, the, of you is there in Ivan? Uh, there's um, a significant amount of me that is in Ivan. I think uh, you know, I had the good fortune to meet my wife right after college and uh, and grow up pretty significantly uh, as a result of that. But had I not, if I had just stayed like a college freshman, that would basically be me. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, video games, uh, drawings that I made on the wall, um, lots of comic books and weaponry. 
Wow. Okay, we would have been friends in college. Uh, Andrea, same question goes at you with the character Lucy, an essential part of the show that keeps driving the story along, but also you go, oh, you know, as a fan of the show. How much of you is there in Lucy? I am not like Lucy. I really am not. So um, I, and I do sometimes get cast as these like alpha females and I am so not that. So there must be something in me that like loves to play those things that are so different than who I actually am. Um, I think it's kind of like my fantasy of who I am, like a dumb bossy bitch. Um, but in my real life, I'm just like, uh, do they like me? Is it okay? You know, like, so I think for me, it's so fun to play this character because she is so not like me. Yeah. Well, a follow-up to that before I throw one back to Josh here is when you're watching, if you were, avoiding spoilers here, if you were watching surveillance footage on the screen in this show, what is actually on your screen? Is it blank or is there temporary footage or actually the surveillance footage? Oh, it's blank. It's blank. But I know who I'm watching. I know the character I'm watching. I've seen him with his shirt off. Um, so it's not hard to imagine. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I love playing a woman who is just lecherous. <laughs> it's so fun and so needed in this world and I'm happy to, happy to do my service. And similar question to avoid spoilers at Josh, if there were Roombas near you, um, were they actually in the room while filming the show? So yes, they were. Uh, I actually asked for time away from uh from everyone with the Roomba nothing lascivious happened but I yeah. wanted to I wanted to imbue this thing imbue. with actual emotion and so I <laughs> I hid a picture of my wife uh very close to me in the room that you can't see on on camera but every time I looked at the Roomba I wanted to imagine a real person and a real love story happening um pretty significantly weird. Ooh, what an actor <laughs> secret reveal. <laughs> no one knows that. I love that. Well, the bottom line is, as I said at the top of this, longtime viewer of both of your projects, Josh, looking forward to the composer whenever that comes out. Andrea, we'll follow you on social media. Keep up the great work, both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Darren. Outrocast. Greg Daniels, wow, such an honor to be speaking with you. I've been watching your shows for decades now. How is your day going, aside from talking to, you know, elite media scum? No, no, it's all good. I got my coffee. I'm sitting in a comfortable chair. I'm uh, having fun meeting everybody. Hi, Darren. How are you? Uh, nonstop, but good. Thank you very much. And this is not hyperbole. Uh, Upload is one of my favorite shows from the past few years. Totally an out-of-nowhere thing. Like, I didn't see it hyped anywhere it was just like here's a new show and then you watch and go wow this is somewhere between office space and idiocracy and the office and just all the things i love it's it's fun but did you know outright that it was coming to amazon prime was that the network for you um well you know it's interesting it actually there was a version i uh, i pitched it um in 2014 and oh. i uh 
initially sold it to HBO. And uh, so I did a, a whole version that was more HBO flavored. Um, and then uh, the guy that I sold it to left and, and then I got it back and I then sold it to Amazon. And then they gave me a whole bunch of good notes also. And the, the key to me was uh, well, this, what happened was uh, uh, one of my kids was playing this game Club Penguin. I don't know if you know it. It's like a, it's a, it's sort of an early metaverse type game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they came to me and they said, I need 99 cents to buy a television set for my igloo in Club Penguin. And I was like, oh, that's what's going to happen. If we have a digital afterlife, the company's just going to be charging us nonstop, you know, and that, that really helped with the kind of figuring out how the comedy worked for this version. It's really cool to see if you look at a lot of the cast from the show on social media, they're actually hanging out together offset. So I surprisingly such a warm environment for such a dark, sad show. Yeah, no, I love the cast and they're all, they're all, a lot of them are kind of up and coming in their careers. You know, um, obviously William B. Davis, the cigarette smoking man from X-Files is, is established, but a lot of the cast are sort of up and comers and, um, you know, and then we we go to Vancouver to shoot it, and they they kind of uh, hang out together a lot, and yeah, they're very friendly, and they're all from very different uh, circumstances and backgrounds, and it's a good ensemble, though. I, I love them. Was Owen part of the original plan for the HBO or ABC versions uh, of the show? Uh, so funny, Owen um, did a a talk show for YouTube that he did himself. And he did it out of a room where I was working and down the hall. And uh, when I had the mini room for upload. And um, so the writers uh, thought he was funny. And they said it'd be funny to have him be the elevator operator uh, in the pilot. So he was. And then he, he got a we did a scene um, where he's uh, holding a towel in the men's room. And he sort of asked, started ad libbing with Robbie and uh and it just it sort of snowballed. People, they were like, oh, he was funny. Wouldn't it be good if he was every character in the place? And then that is actually very practical because you don't have to hire a lot of actors. You know, you get one guy and you make him stand in the background everywhere. Uh, and so, I don't know. I think the writers just enjoyed uh, uh, putting him through funny costume changes. As a big fan of the NBC show, The Good Place, Originally, I was going, oh, well, he Owen's role is basically like Janet from The Good Place, played by Darcy Carden. And then now that I know that the show existed before all that, there were two independent thoughts that were coincidentally similar. Um, could be. I haven't seen The Good Place. I'm, I'm friends with Mike. Obviously, uh, we worked together before. Um, mm-hmm. I sold this uh, uh, before The Good Place, and I told myself when that came out that I wouldn't watch it so that I wouldn't be influenced well, well, two quick questions and then you're a free man. The first one is when we go over those wonderful, wonderful credits of yours, they always name the shows that you created or developed, but they never say Seinfeld. Were you a staff writer or is just one or two episodes as a fluke? Uh, I was a freelancer. So this was pretty early in my career and I got a wonderful opportunity to pitch Larry David over the phone. And I pitched him like a dozen episode ideas. And he liked the story of the, the cars parking in the same spot, which is something that happened to my dad in New York City. This is where we're from. And um, and so that became, after I wrote that, that became my spec. And I used that spec to get hired on The Simpsons and you know, sort of everything flowed from that. But um, uh, yeah, I wanted to do more. I would have loved to have been on that staff, but um, I don't know. He, he got that episode out of me and moved on. <laughs> 
you only got four iconic shows instead of five. Sorry. But uh, hopefully we see another season of Upload. We love it. And thank you for your many years of great art there, Greg. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate it. Outrocast. Hey, Bow Wow. Good morning. Oh, well, do I call you Bow Wow? Bow? What, what do you prefer? Bow, Bow Wow, Shy, Lil Bow Wow. It's, it's all the same. Whatever name it is, good morning and congratulations on this great venture. So you've been famous now 20-ish years and we first saw you kill it in music and then acting took off. What was the plan when you were a kid to be an entrepreneur like you are now? It's crazy we ask that question because um, one of my favorite movies of all time is Jerry Maguire. Before I even started rapping and acting, I was rapping. Let me take that back. I was rapping. I wasn't acting yet. But when I watched Jerry Maguire, it was something that just caught my eye about being a businessman. You know, before I even thought about becoming famous, I was like, yo, I want to be a sports agent. I was like, I want to have my own office. I want to wear a suit every day. I want to be a boss. That's what I want to do. Like, he, Jerry Maguire made it cool for me to want to run in the office, talk crazy to people, and just be like, I, that was everything for me. And then... You know, I never really thought about the business aspect of, uh, of the entertainment industry, I guess, up until it was time. For me, I'm the type of person, let me focus on what is important first, and then hopefully that'll open up doors for me down the road. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what happened. Um, and like I said, I go back to that movie, man. That was something that was always in me. I always wanted to be a person to be on calls like this and, you know, talk to Kiss and, you know, throw out ideas and have 30 people on the phone and actually watch my dreams and, and, and creative ideas manifest and come to life. You know what I mean? And it was just so important to me. And when, like I said, when the opportunity presented itself, <clears throat> I was all for it. And, and a person of mine, a person that I know very well, who I get a lot of my business 411 from and, and, and tactics is, is Puff, is Diddy. You know what I mean? That's somebody who played a, a very important role in my life, even early on in my career at 13. Somebody else who just like Jermaine Dupri and Snoop mm -hmm. was around and molded me, but I needed him for this type of stuff. I needed Puff for the business savvy and being around him and being able to shadow him and watch how he runs his day to day. It was just mesmerizing. And, and since a little kid, I was like, you know what? One day I want to sit back and, and, and hopefully I have a product that can work for me and I don't have to go out here and really work, but I still work. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, that's what did it. It was just the people who I watched, and imitate who came before me, who laid down the foundation and made it cool to want me to be considered an entrepreneur. And that's how you get your your, your, your respect in this business. <clears throat> because a lot of rappers, you rap, that's cool, you get your money, buy a couple cars, jewelry, homes, and that's pretty much it. A lot of us aren't business savvy. You know, it's maybe like a handful of us who really are, and, and those are the ones that get it. You know, Rick Ross is somebody who gets it, 50 Cent and gets it. And so when you watch what these guys are doing, you know, it's like, well, damn, I, I got to find me a play. I got to find something that, you know, I can stand on it and be behind it. And you watch all of these rappers who have been able to do it well. And it's kind of like I want to go down that same route. And I've been on it, but I would say, you know, partnering up with Kiss, this this one right here is like the, I would say probably the biggest thing that I have going. I mean, um, Karana, I was coming back from Tampa <clears throat> for watching Tom Brady's last game in the playoffs and, and wanted some food and got off the exit and didn't even know where I was at. And I wanted some Chick-fil-A and next to the Chick-fil-A shopping plaza was a was like a um like like just just I don't know if it was like a warehouse or whatever, but I just seen the do-rags and the brushes just like posters plastered on the wall on just a vacant lot. And I'm like, oh God, like this. I called my mom, like, nah, this I think we got something. This this, this thing is crazy. I'm in some town, I don't even know how to pronounce, and they know what's going on. So 
um, yeah, man, it, it was just something I had to do. And, and for me to expand my career and become one of the greats, you got to expand and you got you to gotta show people that you're just not a one-trick pony. Well, quick follow-up to that. Uh, besides yourself, any celebrity friends that are already on board with the product that you can say, or do we just have to wait and see and follow oh, the no, social no, media? I, can tell you, I mean, my phone rings all the time. Like, it, you know, it's a gift and a curse with being like the king of the, the do-rags and the twist brushes and all of these things, because, you know, everybody feels like they're entitled to some free product, right? So I have products laying all around my condo. And if it's not Nelly, who just hit me recently, while we went to the Super Bowl, like, yo, I need some of them do-rags. I'm like, well, I, uh, why don't you go buy some of them do-rags? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like a gift and a curse. Uh, Snoop is always calling me one one do-rags. Um, who else? I mean, just so many people um, reach out to me wanting things. And, and it's cool. It's cool. Like, it, it really is a lot of, and, and to be honest, a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes, a lot of athletes, they travel all the time. Um, Dame Lillard is a good friend of mine, plays with the Trailblazers, always hit me up for, for, for product and things like that. Um, there's a wide receiver that plays for the Miami Dolphins. I kid you not, he does his press conferences in our do-rags. He has never missed a press conference when he's not wearing one of these, and it's the craziest nice. thing, and that's how we've been able to bond over social media. And I'm like, yo, bro, because I know we're not sending you – I know I'm not even calling the kids and telling them to send you stuff – let me know what your address so I can make sure you get some product because you really, really support the product. And then, of course, your regulars, your, your boys, the, the friends, they just come over and just go right in the stash and just grab some. So um, it, it's, it's a gift, but the, the bad curse is the fact that they know you got them. <laughs> and, you know, they're going to call for the freebies. But I always tell them, listen, when I wanted something from you, I went out and supported you, so I need you all to go do the same exact thing. But, uh, no, I love it, man, and everybody loves the product. And, you know, everybody's wanting it, and that's what we want. We want people to want it. And I love when people call me saying I can't find it. They're gone. Um, you know, one of my friends went to Walmart and couldn't believe it. I didn't even tell him. Uh, I don't know how because he follows me on Instagram. I made the announcement, but he went he went in Walmart and lost his mind. Like, oh, my God. Like, and they were gone. I think he probably got, like, the last one left, maybe, like, two left, I, I think, on the shelf. So it, it feels good, man. It, it really does. That looks like April and Dr. Russo. Thank you for joining me. I'll throw the first question at April. And I'll add in a, how are you doing along with that? But tell me more about the Don't Skip campaign. Yeah, hi. Um, <laughs> the Don't Skip campaign is in conjunction with GE Health, who I paired up with um, for Breast Cancer Awareness last year, uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month last year, um, and wanted to touch on again, being that the Winter Olympics are here, I wanted to use my platform to continue to encourage women to look out for their own breast health and um, drive awareness around prevention. Um, and so throughout COVID, some women skip their screenings. And um, so it's just an encouragement to get back on the routine, go back in for your yearly mammograms, because um, that's so important as far as detection goes and um, taking care of yourself. And that's where the don't skip comes from. Dr. Russo, uh, that was a fantastic description by April. Anything that you can add to that about the Don't Skip campaign or the importance of mammograms and overall health awareness? Sure. I mean, uh, mammography is still the most powerful tool that we have for detecting breast cancer. Women who go for regular yearly screening mammograms have a 60% less chance of dying from breast cancer. So, you know, April's uh, tribute to her mom here will undoubtedly save lives and she should be real proud of, of getting this message out there because uh, 
it will invariably uh, get that message out. Um, so yeah, yearly screening mammograms, it should begin at age 40 and every year thereafter, okay? If you have a, a first degree relative, like a mother who was diagnosed earlier, let's say 45, you should start your mammograms about 10 years prior to that, okay? Uh, so that's currently the uh, guidelines. And before I throw another question to April, Dr. Russo, were you always a huge fan of volleyball before knowing April? Uh, family volleyball is what we played, and it was uh, a ragtag game, to say the least. I mean, these were not, uh, this is not of the caliber of April Ross, I can, I can promise you. She, she could beat us by herself if we put six of us on the other side. <laughs> yeah, that's not the only family that's the case with. Uh, April, so when did you get involved in this cause and this campaign to begin with? I would assume that, you know, the tragedy involving your mother would inspire that. But the Don't Skip campaign, when specifically did you get involved with it? Well, I got involved with the Don't Skip campaign um, last October. Um, but it's been something that's uh, been really, I've been really passionate about for a long time because of the experience um, with my mom. Um, and it's just a way for me to kind of honor her memory, use it for good to help other people and hopefully encourage them to take measures, uh, preventative measures to protect uh, their health in the long run. Um, I'd say, you know, when I started playing professional beach volleyball and I had a bigger audience, a bigger platform, I wanted to use it um, purposefully. And um, so any opportunity I have to drive awareness and prevention, um, I try to take it. And so it was just really fitting to pair with GE Healthcare for their Don't Skip campaign. Outrocast.